You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. I'm Tim. I'm one of the elders at this assembly, and it's my privilege to continue um, the God Story series that uh, we've been on a journey as a church this year, looking through the Bible and just seeing how it all ties together into one comprehensive story. Um, And as Joel says, we've been looking at it not down in all the nitty-gritty because we'd be here for probably the next 2,000 years, Uh, but looking at it from a 30,000-foot view, looking very much at the overview, but then diving down at different times into specific times and events. This week, this week, we're stepping out of the, what has been the approximately chronological sequence, to look at one of the books of the Bible that actually spans around a thousand years of Israel's history, from the Exodus out of Egypt through to post-Babylonian exile. Uh, And yet is as relevant to us today as it has ever been. We're looking at the book of Psalms, which Chuck Swindoll, who I'm sure some of you will recognise the name, he describes it as an inspired anthology of praise. What a beautiful description of it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I I thank you for this... um, this opportunity for us to gather together as an assembly here this morning in your name. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about who you are, what you are doing, what you have done and what you will do in us and through us, in this assembly and in this community. So Lord, I pray that your message this morning be not impeded by me, but Lord, you will speak through me to bring across those thoughts, those messages that you want planted in each person's mind, in their lives. So, Lord, we we pray not just for information but for transformation. And we pray, Lord, for your spirit to reign in every word. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. The book of Psalms. Firstly... Some fun facts. Who likes fun facts? Statistics. Any statistic nerds in the place? (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Okay. Fun facts. First one. The shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 117. I'm sure somebody could tell me what the longest chapter in the Bible is. Can anyone tell me what the longest chapter in the Bible is? 119. Yeah, that's what you would have said, wasn't it, right? Yeah, you're you're giving other people a chance. That's the way. The middle chapter of the Bible. Some people have way too much time on their hands to work these things out, and it wasn't me. Sorry? 118 is the middle chapter of the Bible. It is. Now, before Psalm 118 and after Psalm 118, there are 
584 chapters before and there are 584 chapters after. So remember those numbers? Now, add them together and you get 1,188. One, one, eight, eight. Before and after Psalm 118. Do you know the middle verse of the Bible? 118 verse 8. Ooh. Are you excited? Are you excited to know what that verse actually says? The middle verse, the, the hinge point of the Bible. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Isn't that interesting? And I think God knows what he's talking about, as well as, dare I say, having a sense of humour. Uh, in total then, we're not finished. In total then, there are 584 chapters before Psalm 118, 584 after, 1188, add Psalm 118 onto that. So there are 1189 chapters in the whole Bible. So given what we learned from Psalm 118 verse 8, I wonder what Psalm 118 verse 9 says. Hmm. Let's have a look. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Which is coming up, there we are. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Which is very similar to verse 8, but there's a a slight variation. And it speaks to me of uh, the various authorities that we have in our lives. Now, no, and this is actually really important. This is really important. It does not say to disobey authority does not say that, because if it did, it would be contradicting other scripture. But it does say, (coughs) excuse me, to place your ultimate hope and security in God rather than in any individual or institution. Okay, now that you're all statistics experts, (coughs) we'll move on. You can dazzle your children and your grandchildren with those stats. Where people get the time to do these sort of things just gobsmacks me. (laughs) Far too much time on their hands. Anyway, the name Psalms. The name Psalms means poems sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. Now, these were the worship songs of the time. We've just spent time in worship singing songs to God. Uh, These were the worship songs of those times. And we can certainly say that these are worship songs that have truly withstood the test of time. We may not have their music anymore, but we do have the extraordinary lyrics that touch the heart, like all good poetry. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, described the Psalms as the language of devotion. The language of devotion. They are the language of the faithful, from the repentant sinner to the awestruck worshipper of a majestic God, totally confident in the character of God. 
Also, Martin Luther once said, the Psalms are a Bible in miniature. They are a Bible in miniature. And this is a testament to the breadth and the depth of theology and doctrine that is covered by this one book. As Tim Keller says in his book, My Rock, My Refuge, it, the Psalms, gives an overview of salvation history from creation through the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the establishment of the tabernacle and the temple, the exile due to unfaithfulness, and points us forward to the coming messianic redemption and renewal of all things. Now, in anyone's language, that is a broad sweep of scripture, all contained within this one book. Now, while the Psalms are often attributed to King David, there were other authors who wrote many of the Psalms. David was certainly the most prolific, uh, writing approximately 50% of the Psalms. However, there was also somebody by the name of Asaph. Asaph and his descendants wrote 12 of them. Asaph was actually a contemporary of David, and you can read that um, in to the Chronicles or Kings. Chronicles, I think. Uh, Asaph was certainly a contemporary of David, but other psalms attributed to Asaph addressed the Babylonian exile, which occurred, of course, hundreds of years later, presumably written by descendants of Asaph. The sons of Korah wrote 11 psalms. Now, for many years, I found that really surprising. The sons of Korah. Because the family of Korah was destroyed by God following Korah's rebellion against Moses during their 40-year desert wanderings. And you can look that one up in Numbers chapter 16. However, I then found this little verse a little bit further on in Numbers chapter 26, verse 11. The line of Korah, however, did not die out. So it was obviously, maybe it was just the, the immediate family rather than the extended family. Um, now, who is aware of the Australian group Sons of Korah? Has anyone heard of them? Yeah, we've got quite a few. The Sons of Korah, well, their mission is to sing the Psalms. Sing the Psalms. And they put music to the Psalms and they, they sing them. And um, much of their music is available on YouTube. I was playing one the other day. Uh, and so I, I encourage you to check them out. Sons of Korah. I would have loved to play one for you here this morning to give you a bit of a, a sampler of it, but chances are our friends at YouTube would um, bounce the live stream, so I'll leave that to yourselves to follow up. Now, other authors are named, uh, including Moses, who wrote Psalm 90. There are 50 Psalms not attributed to any author, Although, apparently, they, and I didn't know this before I was doing my research for this, they are traditionally attributed to Ezra, who, as you know, was post-Babylonian exile. One of the unique features of the Psalms are the superscriptions that often precede the Psalm. They're those little notes at the top of the Psalm. Now, these notes often define the author and sometimes the purpose or the type of Psalm. And they also sometimes describe the musical accompaniment and can include some 
rather obscure terms, I think it's fair to say. Unless you're very scholarly in Hebrew, um, in which case you may know what they mean, but for a mug like me, pure guesswork. An example, let's have a look at an example. An example is Psalm 7, which has this superscription. A shigayon, if that's the correct pronunciation, a shigayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Now, any scholars here who can tell me what a shigayon is? We remain in our ignorance. I have no idea what it means, uh, but these obscure terms, <laughs> it's a type of dance. Oh, is that what it is? Right. Um, these, the, the, often these um, obscure terms are assumed to be musical terms, a type of song. So we just read it and accept it for what it is. When reading the Psalms, it won't take you long before you come across the term Selah. Some people say Selah, depends what school you're into. Selah, um, it often occurs throughout the Psalms. Now this is thought to mean to pause and think on that. It may also have been a, a part of the song when the musicians played without singing while all around were meditating on what they had just sung, which is actually a really cool idea. And it's something that we sort of replicate at times during our, our worship time here, don't we? Um, and so it's really good when you're singing to be really conscious, really mindful of the words you are singing. There can be some really profound uh, truth in what you sing. The structure of this book of Psalms is also unique. It is a very unique book. It is divided into five books as follows. Book one includes Psalms 1 to 41. Book two is from 42 to 72. Book three is from 73 to 89. Four, 90 to 106. And book five rounds it out, 105 to 150. And theologians have studied this structure and the subject matter of the Psalms and have drawn a parallel between these books of Psalms and the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Now, Bible commentator Franz de Litch notes, the Psalter, or the book of Psalms, is also a Pentateuch, the echo of the Mosaic Pentateuch from the heart of Israel. It is the fivefold book of the congregation to Jehovah, as the law is the fivefold book of Jehovah to the congregation. I'll read that last sentence again. It is the fivefold book of the congregation to Jehovah, as the law is the fivefold book of Jehovah to the congregation. Now, I find that comment fascinating and resonating. Because the law was given by God to his people and in response his people lift up their voices in praise to God. Chew on that one. Chew on that one. 
Each of the books ends with a doxology, one or two verses of exultant praise, while the final psalm, Psalm 150, is a doxology of the whole collection of psalms and is indeed a fitting conclusion to the book. There are many different types of psalms, many different types. There are the hymns, the songs of praise, there are the laments, uh, pleading for God's deliverance. There are the psalms of thanksgiving, which are songs thanking God for his mighty works. There are the royal psalms, songs about Israel's kings, also pointing to the coming Messiah. There are the pilgrim psalms, or the songs of ascents, sung as the Jews travelled to Jerusalem for festivals. There are the wisdom songs, songs about learning from God regarding righteous living, the problem of evil and the suffering of the righteous. There are enthronement psalms, songs celebrating God's kingship, his lordship. And there are the messianic psalms, songs looking forward to the coming Messiah. And as you read through the psalms, you'll recognise these types and often there are combinations of those types in the one psalm. And like all books of the Bible, the psalms tell us much about Jesus. As author Henrietta C. Mears says, the psalms are full of Christ. They are full of Christ. Which is actually not surprising since Jesus said this as recorded in Luke 24:44. He, that is Jesus, said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Next up, we'll check out a list of Psalms and just a sample list that speak about Jesus. It's certainly not a comprehensive list, but it does give you an idea of how extensively the Psalms speak prophetically of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to read them out. That's your job. That's your job. So get out your pen and paper and take some notes. Jesus as a prophet. Have a look at Psalm 22, verses 25 to 27. Jesus as a priest. Psalm 110, verse 4. Jesus as king, check out Psalm 2, verses 2 to 6. Jesus' sufferings, read through Psalms 22 and 69 and you will see how prophetically accurate they were of the suffering of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection, yes, Jesus' resurrection was prophesied in Psalm 16, Verses 9 to 10. Now say, check them out. You've heard me, for those who have heard me speak before and you're probably sick of me saying it, be a Berean. You know what I'm talking about. If you're not sure, have a look in in Acts where Paul was talking to the church in Berea. The Bereans went and checked out what Paul said. 
They didn't just go by what he said. They then checked it out and confirmed what he was saying was truth. Do the same with me, with Joel, and I'm sure Joel would agree wholeheartedly with me. Check them out for yourselves. Be a Berean. It's, it's so important to be a student of the word, not just a hearer and then... You're taking photos of that or of me? I was going <laughs> to... Good on you. That's great. See, that's been creative. Didn't have a notepad. Took a photo of it. Excellent. Um, but be, really be a student of the word. I, I can't encourage you um, too much over that. As Chuck Swindoll notes, describing the Psalms, Jesus Christ is anticipated, portrayed and prophesied in such images as the coming king, the redeemer, the loving shepherd and the righteous sufferer. That's pretty comprehensive again, isn't it? Quite comprehensive. I wonder, can the welcome team hand out the communion elements, please? As this is being done, I want to just touch on some of the verses out of Psalm 22 that I mentioned earlier that were fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross. We'll start off with Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? As Jesus took on the sin of mankind, <coughs> excuse me, the Father had to turn away, leaving Jesus feeling utterly forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of the cries from the cross. Verses 6 and 7. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. Jesus was certainly mocked by the soldiers, by the priests, by the people gathered to watch his ordeal, and even by one of the other prisoners being executed at the same time. Verse 15. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. What is a potsherd? Can anyone tell me what a potsherd is? Thanks, guys, you're not helping. Uh, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. This is another one of the cries from the cross where Jesus cried out, I am thirsty. Not only would Jesus have been suffering from the torture he had received and was receiving, along with his massive blood loss, he also would have been suffering from intense dehydration since this had been going on from the previous night when he was arrested. Do you really think they would have been caring for his well-being and giving him glasses of water? And uh, No, these are Roman soldiers who knew death and knew how to inflict pain. Verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. 
They pierce my hands and my feet. Well, a pack of villains indeed surrounded Jesus as they nailed him to the cross. Verse 17. All my bones are on display. The people stare and gloat over me. Jesus hung naked on the cross and following the brutality of the scourging that tore the flesh from his bones. Verse 18. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And this is exactly what the soldiers did as recorded in Matthew 27:35. Verse 31 to, uh, 27 to 31. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. As Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. Jesus and all that he has done will be known. It will be known throughout the world and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray for communion. Dear Jesus, we are so thankful for all that you did for, for us individually and for all of humankind in that you did what we could not, which was to make a way to the Father through you, through your sacrifice, through your death, your burial and your resurrection, your conquering of sin and death. And Lord, we, we proclaim that today. We're here today to bring you glory, to honour you and to thank you by, the, by our very lives. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat and drink together. We can listen to great music. We can read beautiful lyrics and poetry and we can sing songs with great zeal. It's when we allow the music and the lyrics to speak to us, that's when we really appreciate their full power. That is the basis of worship songs, which is why most weeks here we spend time worshipping through music and song to our Heavenly Father. We may not have the original music, that accompanies these psalms, but we do have their extraordinary and powerful poetry. And I thoroughly commend them to you today. I would like us to finish today by reading out loud together Psalm 150, which is the doxology of this book of psalms. And I invite you to stand 
as we do so. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. But more than that, Lord, for who you are. You are Lord. You are God. There is no other God. You alone are God. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are loving. You love each one. And Lord, it is a privilege and an honour to have some measure of knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that you guard each one as we go here from here today, that your mercy and your kindness and your love will flow in each one and through each one into every interaction that occurs this week. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us all as we go from here. And Lord, we thank you and we honour you in Jesus' name. Amen.